Hey guys, and welcome to Band of Brothers Home Edition. As you can see, I'm sitting in my office at home filming this first in the series that we're beginning uh, for this summer. And um, the reason I'm filming at home is about a week and a half ago, uh, my wife and I both got sick. She had been gone to Ethiopia for about a month, and when she returned, about two days later, she developed flu-like symptoms. And um, about three days after that, I developed flu-like symptoms and we both were bedridden and um, aches and chills and pain. And um, we ended up uh, having to go get tested and they ruled out flu A and flu B and strep. And then they administered the COVID-19 test, which I wouldn't wish on anybody. Uh, but we got 48 hours later, the report back that we both tested positive. And so that was a game changer for the Miller household. And as a result, um, I was not able to go in and record this first lesson. Uh, if, if you remember the last two lessons we did for the book of Judges, I went to the church and I recorded in the auditorium without an audience, which is bizarre, uh, those last two lessons. And then we put them online for you guys to watch. And I was supposed to go back in the next week and begin the filming of this series with our video team at the church. But because we got sick, wasn't able to do it. And because we still don't have a, an official um, announcement from a doctor, uh, we're still reluctant to go in and film with the video crew. We don't want to expose anybody to anything. So I'm attempting to record this at home. This is the fourth time I've tried to record this. Um, you would get a kick out of the video setup I've got. And uh, I'm hoping it's gonna work because the first time the audio died on me, the second time my phone died on me, and the third time my wife thought I was done and walked in and, well, enough said. We're gonna try it one more time. But uh, this is an important series because it has to do with God. Now, we're going through a, a period of difficulty right now, as is obvious to all of us. And one of the things that happens when you go through a period like this, a time like this, is questions get raised. And one of those questions is, what kind of God? What kind of God would allow this to happen? Where is God in all of this? And so we're going to take a look at the character of God, the nature of God, the attributes of God. We're not, not going to be able to look at all of them, but we're going to look at quite a few of them and, and try to get a better understanding of who our God is as we go through this very interesting time in this world right now. Now, the subhead is certitude about God in times of uncertainty. You know, there's, there's one important thing we need to understand. We can know for sure about our God. We can understand our God, even in times of uncertainty. How? because of the Word of God. Uh, he's revealed Himself in His Word. And so we're going to try to look at the Word of God and study the Word of God to get a better idea of who our God is as we go through this period of uncertainty. Now, one of the words that we've heard a lot through social media and the media in general and, you know, political pundits, politicians, and um, even the medical community, you know, we're all hearing this word unprecedented that we live in unprecedented times. And, and I, I think that's partially true. I think it's a little over the top because I think this world has been through a lot over the centuries. You know, I just finished watching a multi-part documentary on World War I. Most of you guys know I'm a history buff. And 
So I began to watch this thing and I learned so much about World War I that I didn't understand. I had totally forgotten just how many countries were involved. I had totally forgotten how many people died, millions upon millions of people. It was one of the most horrific periods of time on this earth. And when you go back and you study how it started and how silly the whole thing was at the beginning and how bad it got over time, it makes this look light in comparison. And I'm not minimizing COVID-19. I'm not minimizing the tens of thousands of deaths and those people who contracted COVID-19 just like my wife and I. I'm not minimizing. I'm just saying we need to be very careful when we look at this that we don't blow it out of proportion. And most importantly, that we don't blow it out of proportion when compared with our God. You see, we say it's unprecedented, it's unparalleled, uh, but over the centuries, a lot of things have happened on this earth. There's been uh, genocide, there's been horrible things that men have done to other men. Um, we've seen all kinds of evil take place in this world, and it's all because of the fall. Is this something new? Yes. Have I ever been quarantined at home? Have I ever seen anything like this in my lifetime? No. But in the grand scheme of things, this is a blip, a blip on the radar screen compared to what's taken place in this world before. Yes, we are in uncharted waters. So much of this we don't understand. There are more questions than answers. Everybody's got an opinion, but very few people really know what they're talking about. And that makes it very difficult for those of us who are having to go through these uncertain times because we don't enjoy uncertainty. It makes us incredibly uncomfortable. Um, we don't like not having answers. We don't like not knowing what's coming next, how long we're gonna be quarantined at home, how long it will be before we can gather together as a church or as band of brothers. We don't know and we don't like not knowing. And it raises all kinds of questions. One of the key questions that get asked, gets asked at times like this is why? Why is this happening? I guarantee when my wife and I got the positive uh, testing back that we had tested positive for COVID, we both were asking why? Why me? Why now? Why is this happening to us? You know, the truth is this is a non-discriminatory disease. It's no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter your ethnic background. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter if you're a celebrity or a sports star. It doesn't matter if you're heavy or, or thin. It doesn't care. And yet we continue to ask why? Why now? And I, I'm telling you, when I was laying in bed not knowing what was coming next, I was asking these kinds of questions. I had fears, I had doubts. I didn't know what tomorrow held. I didn't know if I was gonna end up in a hospital on a respirator. I didn't know if that was gonna to happen to my wife. And so you naturally ask questions and you wanna know how long is it gonna last? How long are we gonna be stuck at home? How long will we not be able to go back to work? You know, there are people who've already lost their jobs. There are business owners who may never get their business back up and running because of this thing. And we ask, well, how long? We ask when, when will it all be over? And here's what I can tell you. There's only one individual who knows the answer to any of these questions, and it's God Almighty. Now, he's not obligated to give us those answers. Nowhere does he guarantee he'll answer all of our questions when it concerns COVID-19. But God knows. You see, God 
is the one who knows all things. That's one of the things we're going to study in the weeks ahead is the omniscience of God. He is all-knowing. He is sovereign over all. And we can trust Him, but we have to know Him in order to trust Him. What kind of God is it that we worship? You know, atheists and agnostics ask, ask those questions all the time. And it's funny how those two groups bring up God more than anyone else during times like this. And they point their fingers at people like you and I who believe in God, worship God, who have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And they start asking, what kind of God, what kind of God would allow something like this to happen? It's not that they believe in him. They want to know from you why you believe in a God that would allow this to happen. What kind of God lets the elderly and innocent suffer? And we know that they do as a result of this disease. The elderly are especially vulnerable. Those who have weakened immune systems, who have uh, weak hearts and weak lungs. Why would God, what kind of God would let that happen? What kind of God lets evil, allows evil to enter the world? And that question has been asked for centuries, ever since the fall. What kind of God allows evil? But see, evil is the result of the fall. Evil's the result of the sins of mankind. Evil is resident around us. It's everywhere. And we see it not only in the society around us, but in our own lives, in our own homes. It's real. It's ever-present. But they ask, what kind of God has, who has the power to prevent a disease like this would refuse to do so? It's that age-old question, if he's powerful enough to do so, he must not be loving. If he's loving, he must not be all-powerful if he doesn't get rid of something like COVID-19. How can a God who claims to be loving allow suffering? These are classic questions, and they're asked by atheists, agnostics, and even Christians at a time like this. And here's what happens. When circumstances like this take place, we begin to look at our God through the lens of our circumstances. And it's only normal, right? When my wife and I were bedridden, when we were sick, when we were shivering and cold and sweaty, and we, we were very aware of our circumstances. We felt the pain. We were uh, worried about our health because our circumstances were everywhere around us. They were palpable. We could feel them. And so we looked at the world through our circumstances. But here's the danger for us as Christians. When we look at God through our circumstances, in other words, our circumstances become the lens through which we define God, the way we look at God, how we begin to um, understand our God. You see, that's the reverse of what God would have us do. God would have us look through Him as the lens and look at our circumstances and understand our circumstances based on what we know of Him. But here's the problem. You have to know Him. You have to understand Him. You have to have an awareness of who He is, what His character is like. Otherwise, you will judge God based on your circumstances. If things are great, God is great. If things are bad, God is bad. Or at least God is not good. God is not gracious. God is not loving. God is not kind based on my circumstances. So what we're going to try to do over the weeks ahead is begin to understand our circumstances based on a better understanding of our God. How we see and understand God is going to determine how we view this thing we're going through. 
You see, you can't depend on the news media. You can't depend on the politicians, either on the right or the left. You can't depend on the opinions of your friends. You can't depend on social media. You're going to have to understand these circumstances based on God. And so we're going to try to discover more about our God. You know, the graphic we've chosen for this series is the lighthouse. Now, there are not a lot, a lot of working lighthouses anymore, but at one point in time, lighthouses were very important. They were the means by which sailors could navigate either uncharted waters or dangerous waters, waters that had hidden shoals or reefs, or in the period of a storm, they could um, count on this light to guide them away from the shore and guide them safely into harbor. A lighthouse is meant to guide, it's meant to direct, it's, it's meant to help us get through the difficulties of life. And, and there's someone that I'm going to quote repeatedly over the next few weeks, and it's A.W. Tozier. He's no longer with us, but listen to what he says and, and think about how it fits our current context. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now stop and think about that. Let me read it to you again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In other words, when we think about God, those things we think about God are very revealing about us. It, you know, it's interesting that when we go through difficulty, we think about God more than any other time. When things are great, when times are good, when there's money in the bank, our health is good, our relationships are whole and healthy, we don't tend to think about God. But when things go south, let one thing go wrong, let our health go bad, let our finances take a turn for the worse, let one of our relationships go south, and suddenly we begin to question God. But see, A.W. Chozier says, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. He goes on and says this, the most portentous or important fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, as important as those things are, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. See, the things you say and do are important, and they reflect much about who you are and what you believe. But it's really what you think about God in the deep recesses, those hidden areas of your heart, when things take a turn for the worse, how do you view God? Do you begin to doubt Him? Do you begin to wonder about Him? Do you begin to not trust Him? See, what you think about God is huge during times like this. Your conception of God reveals so much about you. And the sad thing for many of us as Christians is we let our circumstances dictate our concept of God. And so we begin to wonder, is he distant and disconnected? See, at a time like this, when you hear news reports of tens of thousands of people dying and, and hundreds of thousands of people being infected, you begin to wonder, where is God in all of this? Is he distant? Is he just disengaged? Is he not involved? Does he not care? Is the, he the, this deity who created the universe and wound it up like a clock and then set it on a shelf to wind down of its own accord? See, that's one of the things that happens when you look at circumstances and allow circumstances to determine your view of God. You then begin to question his compassion, his caring. You begin to wonder, well, he, he must not care. He must not be compassionate if he's letting innocent people die, if he's letting this 
heinous disease spread throughout the world and, and wrecked the world's economy and shut down businesses and put people out of work for who knows how long. And then you begin to see him as judgmental and vindictive. He's just this angry God up in heaven who's judging the world. Here's something I want to make really clear as we go through this study. At no point in this study am I saying, teaching, or believing that God is judging the world through COVID-19. I don't believe that. I don't see that. There's no way to know that. God has not revealed that to us through Scripture. Does God judge? Yes, God judges sin. But at no at no point have we been told by God that this is a judgment upon the world for its sin. Disease is part of a fallen world. It's part of the world we live in as a result of the sins of Adam and Eve. And, and so I want you to understand that at no point am I saying that God is judging the world through COVID-19. That's not what I believe. I do believe that God is trying to reveal himself to the world through this. He's trying to get the world's attention and trying to reveal to a lost and dying world that there is a living God who cares about, who is compassionate. Does God judge? Yes. But God is also loving and compassionate and gracious and kind. But do you believe that? When you go through times like this, do you believe that he is loving and gracious? See, the world is doubting that. The agnostics and atheists um, ridicule anyone who be would believe in a loving and gracious God in the midst of a time like this. And then we begin to doubt that he's in control, that somehow God is up in heaven wringing his hands, caught totally off guard by COVID, that he didn't see it coming. But see, that's not what I believe. At my worst moment struggling with COVID, I never doubted that God was out of control or that God was in control. I never wondered if God had left me or forsaken me or was somehow out of touch. He wasn't up in heaven wringing his hands. See, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. And it's my hope that as we struggle with this and as we wrestle with what comes into our minds when we think about God, will become the most important thing about us and determine how we view our circumstances. That's why this study is going to be so important. You know, this is a graphic that I ran across. It's actually, you can get it on a t-shirt, you can get it on a poster. Where's your God now? And it's meant to be funny, but there's a serious side to it because it's questioning God based on circumstances. In this case, no toilet paper. You know, weeks ago when this first this thing first started, I made a Monday run to Costco because that's my day off and there's usually nobody there. And when I arrived, the parking lot was packed and I couldn't believe it. I'd never seen it like that before on a Monday. And I went inside and there were people with carts piled high with toilet paper and bottled water and hand sanitizer or all kinds of meat products or dairy products. And, and, and I asked one of the workers, what in the world is going on? Now I knew about COVID but I had seen nothing like this before. And he said, we don't know. When we opened up this morning, it was business as usual, but somewhere around 11 o'clock, something happened. Either something got promoted on the news, but everybody and their dog showed up at Costco's and it's been like this ever since. And he said, people are going absolutely nuts. And I made a beeline to the 
far corner of the store in the back where they keep the toilet paper and the bottled water and the hand sanitizer, and it was a ghost town. It was absolutely empty. You see, people are panicking. People are responding out of fear, and they're beginning to hoard, and they're beginning to worry about the future. And this little image is meant to be funny, but it's got a serious side to it because when we look at these circumstances, we begin to wonder, well, where is God? God, what are you doing? Why haven't you acted? Why aren't you intervening? Why, why haven't you done something about these circumstances? And see, then we begin to say, where is your God in all of this? That's what the agnostics and the unbelievers, the atheists shout at us. Where is your God in all of this? Now, they don't believe in God, but they wonder why we believe in a God in the midst of all of this. But you know what the better question is? This is not where is he, it's who is he? Who is your God in all of this? See, when somebody comes to you and says, who is your God? What kind of God? You should be able to answer them. You should be able to articulate what it is you know about your God and that you're not going to allow the circumstances of life to determine or define your God. You're gonna define your circumstances based on who he is in the, in the midst of all this. Now, there's a passage in John chapter 17. It's called the, the high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed on the night that he would be betrayed. And he spoke to his heavenly father. And listen to what he says. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's an interesting statement to come from the lips of Jesus, who's about to go to the cross and die in the place of sinful mankind in order that we might be made right with a holy God. He says, this is eternal life. Not that you get to go to heaven, not that you get to spend eternity with God the Father and God the Son. That's true. That will happen. But this is eternal life, that they know you, who? God, and your Son who you sent. That's the essence of eternal life. That's the purpose behind eternal life. Eternal life is you and I spending eternity with God the Father and God the Son, growing in our knowledge of them day by day by day for eternity. How long is eternity? Don't have a clue. But here's what I know, that our knowledge of God will never end. Our understanding of God will never be exhausted. We'll never come to an end of our knowledge of God. It will increase over eternity. That's how exhaustive he is. That's how great our God is. So Jesus says, this is eternal life, to know God and to know his son. See, God wants to reveal himself to you and I. And one of the ways he does it is through circumstances just like the ones we're going through. He wants us to know him better and he wants us to understand him better. But the question is, are you and I even looking for him? How much time are you spending on social media? How much time do you spend surfing the internet? How many Netflix movies can you watch? How many uh, Amazon Prime shows can you watch? How much time are you spending in the word seeking the God of the word? See, God wants to reveal himself to you. God wants you to know him better and better. But too many of us are focused on our circumstances. We're fixated on our circumstances. We can't stop thinking about our circumstances. And we worry more about Corona than we worry about God Almighty. We think more about Corona 
than we do about God Almighty. And I want to change that. I want to help us fixate on God. And to help us do that, I want to share with you a passage found in the book of Exodus. And it's in chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. Now, to set the stage, we all know the story of Exodus. The people of Israel uh, had been in Israel, had been in Egypt for over 400 years, and they were the captives of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and they had been mistreated. They were, in a sense, quarantined in Egypt. They couldn't get out. They couldn't go where they wanted to. They couldn't do what they wanted to do. They were slaves of the Egyptians, and God sends a deliverer, Moses, and he gives them a message and here's what he says. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Now, there's a lot going on in these two verses, but listen to what he says. He's telling the people of Israel who are living in captivity and have been for four centuries that I am your God. Now, why is that important? Because they had long ago forgotten about Yahweh. For the last 400 years, they had been worshiping the gods of the Egyptians. They didn't really know who God was, and they weren't worshiping God. They were worshiping false gods. And so God shows up and he says, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to set you free from your captivity and I'm going to show you who I am. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. How's he going to do it? Through outstretched arms and great acts of judgment. See, God was going to intervene into their circumstances, and he was going to show himself to be powerful. Now, what's interesting is that he says this before, long before Moses did any miracles, long before any of the ten plagues were done, long before the crossing of the Red Sea on dry ground, long before they crossed the wilderness, God promises them that by the time this is all done, <coughs> by the time the last chapter of the book of Exodus is written, you're going to know that I am the Lord. And that phrase is going to get repeated over and over again in the book of Exodus. See, God wants them to know him. He wants you to know him. And he wants to reveal himself to you. See, listen to the words of Paul written to the church at Colossae. Here's what he prays on their behalf. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? Well, he's going to tell them. He wants them to know the will of God so that they might do the will of God. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. They want to know, he wants them to know the will of God so that they will do the will of God and bring honor and pleasure to God Almighty. But he's not done yet. He goes on and says, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. He wants them to know God's will so that they will do God's will and produce good fruit. But there's even more. All the while, while they're knowing God's will, living according to God's will, producing fruit that brings glory and honor to God and is a pleasure to God, all the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. See, there's, there's more than just knowing rules given by God. It's knowing the God behind the rules. It's knowing the one who gave us the rules, the laws, the will to live according to. Understanding God is huge. 
And see, Paul wants us to learn to know him better and better over time. And he wasn't alone. Even the apostle Peter picked up on this. And he wrote, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. See, when we come to faith in Christ, we come to a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then he introduces us to God, his father, and he restores us to a right relationship with him. And we are able to know God intimately, personally. We can now communicate with him. We can come into his presence and we can pray to him and we can speak to him. And he speaks to us through his Holy Spirit and through his word. But there's more to it. We're to grow in that knowledge. It's not to be uh, stagnant, but it's to grow over time. That's part of what it means to grow in Christ's likeness, to grow in sanctification. And he goes on and says, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by how? Coming to know Him and increasing over time in our knowledge of Him, the one who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. So over the next weeks, we're going to try to get to know God better. And A.W. Tozier adds this to his quote. He says, always the most revealing thing about the church is our idea of God. Again, what do you think about God? Just as her most significant message is what she says about him or leaves unsaid, for her silence is often more eloquent than her speech. She can never escape the self-disclosure of her witness concerning God. In other words, you can go silent, you can say nothing, but your life will reveal volumes about what you think about God. The church's silence speaks volumes about what it thinks about God, especially at a time like this. See, we should be speaking up. We should sh be shouting the glory of God, the goodness of God, the righteousness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, because we know God. See, our idea of God speaks volumes. We know this, God speak to, speaks to us through his word. That's the reason we study the word. It's the reason we're doing this study. God speaks, speaks to us through his word. But here's something we often overlook, that his word reveals God through his actions. In other words, if we go back to Exodus, we see God promising that I'm going to outstretch my arm. I'm going to do marvelous works on your behalf. I'm going to do things, actions, and you're going to know me through those actions. And we have the benefit thousands of years later of being able to go back and to read the books of the Bible, the Old Testament in particular, and see the acts of God and learn about our God through his actions on their behalf. We see the same thing in the New Testament, especially in a book like Acts, where we see God working in tremendous ways through the lives of those early believers, accomplishing incredible feats and miracles and leading countless thousands upon thousands of people to faith in Jesus Christ. See, God reveals himself through actions. He becomes visible in our circumstances. And that's why times like this are so important, that we look for God in the midst of our circumstances. See, he told the people in Egypt, you shall know that I am the Lord. How? By the things that I do on your behalf. He even said, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians are going to know that I'm the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to worship him. 
it means that by the time this is all said and done and the ten plagues are over, they're going to know that God, Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, is greater than any of the gods of the Egyptians. So God wants you to know Him. God wants you to understand Him. Now, over the last few weeks, I've been trying to spend more time in the Word, seeking to know God, and I've been reading uh, the book of Micah, the book of Ezekiel, uh, the book of Jeremiah, Isaiah, the book of Job, trying to get a better understanding of my God. And if you have your Bible, I'd like you to open it up to the book of Ezekiel, and we're just going to do a, a quick little uh, word study or a, uh, a study through the book of Ezekiel. And we're going to begin in chapter 5, verse 13. And I've got it here on the screen. But it says, Thus shall my anger spend itself, and I will vent my fury upon them and satisfy myself, and they shall know that I am the Lord. There's that phrase again. That I have spoken in my jealousy when I spend my fury upon them. Now who's the them? Well, the them is the Israelites. Now this is centuries later. This is long after the people were freed from their slavery in Egypt. They were taken across on dry ground across the Red Sea. They were led across the wilderness for 40 years. They were led into the land of promise by Joshua. They conquered most of the people living in the land. God awarded to the 12 tribes their inheritance of the land that he had promised to Abraham. And they were living in the land and he had given them kings like David and Solomon. And then Solomon, the son of David, sinned against God, had 700 wives and 300 concubines and began to worship the false gods of his pagan wives. And God split the kingdom in half, forming the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And more kings came over time. And those kings, for the most part, were, were ungodly kings. They were unfaithful kings and they led the people into idolatry to the point where God eventually brought the Assyrians who conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and took them into captivity and destroyed their capital of Samaria. And then hundreds of years later, God sent the Babylonians who would come and destroy the southern kingdom of Judah and destroy the capital of Jerusalem and demolish the temple of God and take tens of thousands of the people of Judah into captivity in Babylon where they would remain for 70 years. And the book of Ezekiel is God speaking through his prophet Ezekiel to the people in Israel, warning them of the judgment to come. Now, listen to what he says. And they shall know that I am the Lord, not through mighty acts of deliverance, but mighty acts of judgment. And it goes on, if you skip down into chapter 6, verse 10. It says, and the slain shall fall in your midst, and you shall know that I am the Lord. See, God's going to reveal himself through devastation, through the killing of people who have turned their backs on him. You skip down a little bit further, and it says, and they will be loathsome in their sight for the evils that they have committed for all their abominations. Verse 13, and they shall know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would do this evil to them. Over and over again, we see God reminding the people of, of, of Israel what he's going to deal, do to them. And 31 times in the book of Ezekiel, he says, and you will know that I am the Lord. Most of it will come through judgment. Most of it will come through God bringing judgment upon the people of Israel for their 
unfaithfulness to him. But if you skip all the way forward to chapter 34, there's a change in the tone. Listen to what it says. Chapter 34, and this is verse 27. And they, the people of Israel, shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. See, God is now telling the people of Israel, yes, I'm going to judge you. Yes, I'm going to punish you for your sins. Yes, I'm going to reveal myself through judgment. But there's a day coming when I'm going to restore you to the land and you will know me, not because of judgment, but because I'm going to break the bars of your yoke. You're going to get set free. I'm going to restore a remnant of the captives in Babylon, and I'm going to send them back to the land of Judah. And you're going to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and restore the walls, and you're going to refurbish the temple, and you're going to reinstitute the sacrificial system because that's the kind of God that I am. And then in verse 36, it says, or verse 30, it says, And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. You see, God was going to reveal himself not only through judgment, but through acts of kindness, goodness, graciousness. See, God reveals himself through circumstances. But the bottom line is that he wanted his people to know him. So when we see this, where's your God? Yes, it's meant to be a joke. But for us as believers in God and as followers of Jesus Christ, it's no joke. I know where my God is. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to study our God. And we're going to look at how we can grow to know him better. And to do so, we're going to look at a number of his attributes. The first one we're going to look at is his immutability. That just means that God doesn't change. See, we're in a time of great change and uncertainty, and everything is in flex and in, in flux, and we don't know what's going to happen next. But here's what we do know. Our God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of the New Testament is the same as the God of the Old Testament. Our God has not changed, and COVID is not changing our God. We can rest in who he is. He's also omniscient. He knows all things. He wasn't caught off guard. This didn't catch him by surprise. He knew about this before it ever happened. Before the first pe person ever contracted this virus, God knew about it. He knows everything. He knows the beginning. He knows the end and everything in between. He's also a God of love and mercy and grace. And we are not to judge him based on what we see around us. We are to judge him based on his mercy that he has shown time and time again, just like we've seen in the story of the Israelites. He judged them, but he showed mercy to them. He loved them in spite of them, and he was gracious to them, even though they didn't deserve it. And our God is holy. That simply means he's set apart. He's different. He's distinct. There is no one like God. There are no gods like God. As a matter of fact, there are no gods but God. And our God is different, and he stands apart and he is more powerful than COVID-19. He is greater than the largest government. He is bigger than the most powerful foe that we will ever face. Our God is holy, different, set apart. And he is righteous and just and good all the time. And we don't need to question whether our God is doing the right thing right now, because he is. And he is just in all his actions. 
We may not like it. We may not understand it. But our God is always just in all that he does. And he is always good. And he is truthful and trustworthy and faithful. See, we need to know these things about God, but we got to get them from our head into our heart so that they will begin to change the way we view what's taking place around us. I'll close with this. A.W. Chozer says, Worship is pure or base. base worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. In other words, if you have high thoughts of God, your worship will be high and worthy. If you have low views of God, your worship will be low and base and unworthy of the God we say we worship. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. What do you believe about God? So here's your discussion questions. Now, I know you can't get together with your table mates, but you can Zoom or you can get on the phone. You can do a conference call or you can get together with your wife, your kids, and you can discuss these questions with them. But please discuss them because they're going to be very relevant as we move forward. What are some ways in which you've allowed the current circumstances to dictate your view of God? And believe me, you've all done it. I've done it. How? How have we, we've, have we let the news, the reports, the, the social media content, everything we're being bombarded with, how have we allowed that to dictate our view of God to the negative? Secondly, how could an inaccurate view of God cloud your understanding of these days? In other words, if you don't really understand who God is, that he's just and righteous and good and merciful and all-powerful and all-knowing, if you don't understand that, you're going to have a very warped understanding of what we're going through, and none of it will make sense. And then finally, what could God be revealing about himself through this current crisis? What does God want to show you about him? See, he wants you to know him, and he wants you to grow in your knowledge of him. But what could he be trying to show you in the midst of all this? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your power, your might, your majesty, your grace, your omnipotence, your omniscience. That, Father, you are totally in control. You are sovereign over all things. You're not up in heaven wringing your hands. You are trustworthy. You are faithful. You are good all the time. Would you help us to understand that and to grow in our knowledge of that? and our knowledge of who you are and how we can trust you even at a time like this. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You guys have a great day and a great week, and we'll see you next week for week two.